It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson, as the Utah Jazz own the best record in the NBA. Going to be answering a bunch of your mailbag questions today. I sent out a request for your questions. Got a bunch back on Twitter, at Ben's Hoops. Make sure you follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. Of course, read me at kslsports.com. Follow us on Twitter at KSL Sports and also download the KSL Sports app right now if you haven't done that yet. Super easy to do. Open up your app store, search KSL Sports. It'll be right there at the top. You can get all of our articles, podcasts, whatever you're looking for, all in one spot. It's really convenient. It's got a great interface, easy to use. I use it every day. Uh, I think you will too. So the KSL Sports app in the app store. Uh, All right, going to talk about your questions a little bit. Jazz are 17 and 5 right now. Top of the West by a half game. Uh, top in the NBA, obviously, still by a half game. But they're really good. Uh, so it's a fun time to be a Jazz fan. Fun time to be covering the team as well. I'm recording this on Friday at about 3 p.m. They're going to be taking on the Charlotte Hornets coming up here in just a couple of hours. Uh, second night of a back-to-back. First time the Jazz have... Or second time, I should say, the Jazz have done that on the road this season. They lost to the Knicks earlier this year. So uh, we'll learn a little bit more about this team tonight. But uh, let's get to your questions. Uh, I always appreciate you sending them in. Again, follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. My DMs are open throughout the week if you want to reach out to me that way. Uh, it's a good way to get in touch, and I try and remember to answer those on the podcast. I've already written about a couple of these questions, and I'll tell you about those uh, as they're more in-depth, and hopefully that's where you're finding this podcast. Anyways, uh, let, let's start with rebounding because that was the first question I talked about. And it is important for what the Jazz are doing. Mayor McCheese on Twitter says, Why do you think the Jazz have become an elite rebounding team this year? Is it just the addition of favors? They seem to be way better than last year. They are. They're the best rebounding team in the NBA this season, uh, according to their rebounding percentage. And I went into a couple of reasons why I think that's the case. Uh, first of all, it, it's a, a decision by Quinn Snyder. It's a philosophical decision that exists in the NBA on whether you want to rebound or not rebound. You know, you can't say, hey, we're going to be a good three-point shooting team. You have to have the players to make the shots. Uh, You can't say, hey, we're going to be a good, you know, defensive team. You have to have good defensive players. You can't just say, well, play good defense. You're going to be good. You have to have the quality to do it. Offensive rebounding is actually one of the things you can change philosophically. And the Jazz last year didn't choose to offensive rebound very much outside of Rudy Gobert and Tony Bradley and Ed Davis. Well, Tony Bradley replaced Ed Davis, so the Jazz only had Gobert and Bradley in the game ever that were offensive rebounders that averaged more than one a game. Rudy was up over three. Bradley was just over one. Uh, That changed this year, and Quinn Snyder talked about it a couple of days ago, that the Jazz philosophy has been to try and crash the glass. And as a result now, they have five players averaging at least one offensive rebound per game, and it's the guys you'd expect. Uh, Rudy Gobert, 
Derek Favors, obviously. Royce O'Neal's the Jazz's second-best rebounder overall. Uh, but then Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are also averaging uh, a rebound, uh, an offensive rebound per game. And what's causing that is, A, the philosophy of Quinn Snyder of saying, hey, we want you guys to go and get it. Uh, we think it's worth not getting back on defense. We think getting those extra possessions is beneficial. Uh, and the 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 uh, offensive rating you have off of an offensive rebound and the points you get off of those is superior than what you get off of those misses getting back and preventing the other team from scoring. And right now that bet's paying off because the Jazz are the third best defensive team in the NBA with a defensive rating of 107. They're the best rebounding team, even though their defensive rating is up like 0.3 uh, you know, three one hundredths uh, over last year, their offensive rebounding rate is up four percentage points. So that's where the only difference has come from for the Jazz this year. It's all on the offensive side of the ball. So some of that is philosophical. Uh, the other part is I think the Jazz are shooting a lot more threes. Uh, and when you shoot more threes, you have more long rebounds. And more long rebounds mean more opportunities for offensive rebounds, especially for Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, which they weren't getting last year. So last year, the Jazz took 35 threes a game. This year they take almost 42. Last year they missed 22 game or three 22 threes a year or a game I should say excuse me they missed 22 threes per game now they miss almost 30 per game. Okay, well that's an eight rebound difference uh, of oppor- offensive rebound opportunities of these long rebounds that now Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell can go out and get. So when you take you know seven more threes you miss eight more threes you have a better opportunity to go and get that ball. And I think that is some of the reason we're seeing it. So it comes from a philosophy of Quinn Snyder to go out and try and get more. And also because the Jazz are shooting more threes, which creates more long rebounds. So I appreciate that uh, question. That's a good one. And, you know, it's a big part of the Jazz story right now. It's one of the reasons they're playing so well. The Colonel on Twitter. If the Jazz can only get two players in the All-Star game this year, who would you prefer to see out of Conley, Mitchell, and Gobert? Absolutely, Mike Conley's number one. He's in his 14th season. Right now, if he retired, he'd be the best player in NBA history to never make an all-star game. There's a couple of guys who are in that conversation, like Sharif Abdul-Rahim, uh, former Ute Andre Miller. But that's a no one wants that list. Like, <laughs> it's a bad thing. Uh, you know, greatest uh, person who never, you know, greatest dad who never had a family or greatest mom who never had kids. Like, that's not a cool thing. Uh, so Mike Conley wants to make the all-star game, and, and he deserves it this year. He's playing at an all-star level. He's a top three player on the best team in the NBA. Traditionally, that guy makes it. It's hard to do in the West this year because, A, Mike Conley's stats aren't eye-popping. He doesn't average 20 points a game or 10 assists. Uh, he doesn't play a crazy style of basketball that's so exciting to watch that you you have to see him every night like a LaMelo ball or a Steph Curry, and he's not as good as Steph, but he's way better than LaMelo. But these guys were fun to watch. You know, Zion Williamson might get a, a wild card bid into the uh, the All-Star game this year. Because he scores a lot of points, his team isn't any good, he's not very good defensively, but he's fun to watch. So he might get an all-star bid that way. That's hurting Mike Conley right now. So number one, I would love to see Mike make it. Everything, especially his advanced numbers, say he should make it. I think he has kind of an underrated good chance of making it because so few guys seem enthusiastic about the all-star game this year. So you may have LeBron James say, you know what, I had whatever, it was like 45 days of rest this offseason played every game in the regular season so far. I need this week off. I need this rest. I need to go home. I need to sleep in my own bed. I can't go to Atlanta for, you know, it's going to be three nights. You're going to have to get there early. You're going to have to test. You're going to have to play in the game. You have to test that morning. Then you're probably going to fly home the next day after. It's three days of your like six or seven days rest you get this season. 
LeBron probably doesn't want that after playing last year. He wants to win another championship. He wants to continue building on that legacy. For Mike Conley, his legacy is going to be making the All-Star game. So if there are guys in the West who say, I need the rest, I can't do it, Damian Lillard has two new babies at home. He just can't do it. He can't be a part of the All-Star team this year. Maybe you start getting to that point where there's guys who say, I'm a little dinged up. I'd rather get the rest. Pick a reserve. And those get handpicked by Adam Silver. And Adam Silver's great at picking good storylines. And so he could go out and say, hey, instead of putting Devin Booker or Zion Williamson or DeMar DeRozan or, you know, Ja Morant, one of these guys in, maybe he goes out and does kind of the kind thing, even though he's very well deserving as well, and picks Mike Conley. Uh, I could see that happening. Secondly, uh, I think Mitchell's probably playing better than Rudy Gobert this year. Uh, Both have seen their numbers actually drop back a little bit this season from last year. Rudy's scoring his way back, even though his blocks are up. His plus minus is way up, so maybe he's still the Jazz best player. Donovan Mitchell still brings something every night uh, and is getting better and his passing's better. His defense is getting a little better. His rebounding feels like it's better to me. I I would probably put Donovan in uh, if I had to pick between the two. It just feels like night in and night out he's he's brought a little bit more i think rudy has a couple of games this season where i'm thinking yeah it's just not it's not he's not playing as well as i know he can so i would probably put donovan in there rudy's also do a million dollars if he makes it jazz would probably like to not have that on the salary cap so a couple things to think about on that front sam briner is atlanta's defensive good question by the way sam uh, briner is atlanta's defensive strategy to limit jazz threes replicable by other teams if so which ones or what type of team so Let's talk a little bit. And again, I wrote about this last question, the All-Star one. I'm writing about this one as well. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what Atlanta did or didn't do defensively and what the Jazz did or didn't do that held them to what it was, whatever, you know, 33 point attempts last night and uh, 13 makes. So the Jazz weren't able to get threes last night for two reasons. One, Mike Conley got in foul trouble in the first quarter, and after that, the Jazz couldn't run the pick-and-roll in the second quarter. And as soon as he came in in the third, they came back, and they were running the pick-and-roll just fine, and they ended the game really quickly, and then he didn't have to play much of the fourth quarter because the Jazz were up by 20. Uh, So Mike Conley's foul trouble was a big part of why the Jazz weren't generating threes because, again, they run the pick-and-roll. Off of Rudy's screen, the first look is a Mike Conley three. If that's not there, they get into the paint. He throws the lob to Rudy or he throws the floater. Uh, If those aren't there, because help defenses come from one of the corners, he's got Royce O'Neal or Boyan Bogdanovich in the corner to shoot a three. If those aren't there, they kick it out to the wing. uh, And then Donovan Mitchell's got a three at the top of the key or, you know, at that, that angle if he wants it. Well, if Mike Conley's not running the pick and roll and the Jazz aren't having anyone else do it well, you lose all those secondary three point options. Uh, and and that's what Atlanta did well. They, they helped stymie the Jazz pick and roll once Mike Conley was off the floor. And they did that because they have Rajon Rondo playing in place of Trey Young, and none of this would have happened if Trey Young had played last night. And then they have Clint Capella, who should be an all-star this year, who's really good at blowing up a pick and roll by himself, the same way Rudy Gobert is, which is why other teams don't get a lot of threes against the Jazz. If you can blow up the pick and roll and defend it with two players, which is your guard on their guard and your big on their big, then your perimeter players don't have to come in and help on the pick and roll, which means Boyan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, Donovan Mitchell can all stick with the guy they're supposed to be defending in the corner. Well, last night, and I'm trying to just pull this up off the top of my head, you know, the other Atlanta starters right now who are able to to hang out on the three-point line around Rajon Rondo didn't have to leave Boyan and Royce and Donovan. So you had John Collins, Cam Reddish, and Kevin Herter not having to come in and help on Rudy Gobert. And that was really beneficial. That 
prevented the Jazz from getting a ton of threes, and it's the reason why the Jazz only ended up taking 27 on the night. So that was a part of it. It wasn't that they did something great against the Jazz on the three-point line. It's because they were so good against the Jazz in the pick and roll, especially in the first half, that the Jazz didn't generate those threes. So what do you do? What did the Jazz do last night? Well, they turned to Boyan Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson in isolation and just said, well, you know, if the pick and roll's not working and that's not generating threes, then we'll go isolation. And Boyan and Jordan Clarkson had 25 points in the first half on 10 of 16 shooting. And still, you know, that's incredibly efficient. And the Jazz will take that if they have to. It's their third or second, it's their second contingency in their offense. It's their third option, truly, but uh, they were happy to do it. They got to it, you know, in the second quarter. Jordan Clarkson scored all of his points last night in the second quarter, all 10 of the first half, I should say. Uh, but that, that's how the Jazz were still able to lead by whatever it was, eight at the half, and, and you know, kind of coast to that easy victory. Uh, so the Jazz will happily do that. They would just rather do pick and roll first, three points second, and then get to that isolation third. You don't want to be an always isolation heavy team, especially in the regular season. You have to rely on it more in the postseason. Uh, so that, I think, answers that question hopefully a little bit for you. The second part of your question is who else can do that in the NBA? The team that scares me the most if I'm a Jazz fan is the Lakers, obviously, because Anthony Davis is so good. He can switch. He can drop. He can stay with Rudy. Uh, and that's going to be dangerous. And then they have a couple of guys they can put on the Jazz point guard in Conley or Joe Ingles or Donovan Mitchell, whoever's going to be initiating the pick and roll, and try and beat you that way. Whether that's LeBron who wants to face up with you, whether that's Taylor Horton Tucker who played well last night. You know, they've, they've got a couple of guys who they can rely on to try and blow up the uh, try and blow up your offense. So I think that's something worth keeping an eye on. Outside of the Lakers, who can do it? There's a couple of teams that probably make sense. I think the Knicks did it a little bit to the Jazz with Alfred Payton and Nerlens Noel in the Jazz loss earlier this season. But then, of course, it just wasn't there at all this last time the two teams played. Brooklyn Nets did do it when they had Jared Allen because he had such a good game. Uh, but they don't have Jared Allen anymore, and now they're one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. Uh, Jared Allen went to the Cavs. They can probably do it now because they have some decent guard defenders uh, and they've got Jared Allen now. So he can probably do it there. Milwaukee has a rim protector and some good athletic wings. Indiana, who the Jazz are going to see at the end of this trip on Super Bowl Sunday. They can do it with Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner, but that also involves those guys having to move their feet really well, which Brogdon can do. Turner's the best shot blocker in the NBA, but might not be able to defend a pick and roll quite that well. He's kind of more of a help side guy. So uh, th- there's not a lot of teams that can do it. It's why the Jazz are so good. It's why it's why that offense is, is proven and is working so well and, and why I think it's going to continue to work. So it's a good question. The Jazz are going to have to figure out if they can run their offense against the Lakers. They might not be able to. And if you can't, it's going to be really, really tough. Uh, so that's what I'm going to be keeping an eye on when the Jazz play them coming up on the 24th of this month. But good question. I wrote about all three of those pretty in-depth uh, in this article, so make sure you go and read that. Otherwise, let's just answer the rest of your questions here. As we get to them, John Jenkins, as the season goes forward, who in the bottom group will be able to help the Jazz most? Bottom seven, do any crack playoff games? I think you're talking about the bottom seven on the roster, Um, which, you know, we've got the top eight, which is the guys the Jazz usually play. Royce, Boyan, Rudy, Donovan, Mike, Joe, Derek, Jordan, and even George Niang. So those are nine guys. The Jazz have a real nine-man rotation. The other seven are, what, Mie, Jarrell, Juwan Morgan, Shaq Harrison, Yudoka Azabuki. Uh, that's probably really about it. Elijah Hughes, Trent Forrest. Um, I don't think anyone specifically, the best chance is obviously Mieoni just because he gets the most play. 
I think people thought that would be Shaq Harrison because of his on-the-ball defense. I don't know if he does enough else well on a basketball court to be worth playing in the playoffs. He's only ever been good on really bad teams, or I should say he's only ever played on bad teams like the Chicago Bulls. Uh, so I wouldn't count on him. But Mie is 6'6", with a 6'10", wingspan, moves his legs well, can hit the three a little bit. He's obviously a very good offensive rebounder and rebounder in general because he's so athletic he can run the floor. He could, in the right situation, find himself on the floor against a Denver Nuggets team or somebody like that if the Jazz felt like they needed more length on the defensive end. Uh, so I would say Mie has the best chance, and I still don't think the Jazz will put him in the playoffs very much. But you know what? Juwan Morgan's really good. I mean, the minutes he played when Derek Favors was out were really, really impressive. His ability to defend on the perimeter, make good plays with the ball in his hand. He's really smart. Maybe it's maybe it's Juwan Morgan, and that's just going to be matchup-driven. Aoni if you need a wing, uh, Juwan if you need a big man. So uh, it would be one of those two guys. I don't think it's Shaq Harrison. I think I'm going to abandon that plan. Uh, but maybe he'll have a bigger opportunity if he sticks with the team next year. Good question because, uh, you know, these things evolve, and, and that's why we address them. Uh, Glenn Anderson, is it possible to get an extension done with Conley before free agency? Yes, the Jazz have until the 30th to get that deal done if they want to. Mike wanna, might want to hit free agency. There's teams that have money that may want him. Dallas, the Lakers are going to want him. Clippers are going to want him, even though they're both in the lottery. Or I should say they're both in the luxury tax. Dallas has a ton of money, but you can see they could desperately use a point guard to play alongside Luka Doncic. Mike would be absolutely brilliant. But does Mike, this late in his career, want to go play for a team that's... I mean, they looked awful this year. They're probably not a finals team in the next two years. Unless they can make some major shakeup and add Mike Conley. So if they could sign Kawhi Leonard with a max deal this offseason when he becomes a free agent away from the Clippers and then they add Mike okay that's a that's a no-brainer for Mike in my opinion uh but right now he loves Utah he talks about how much he likes it here he's 33 or 34 he's got three young kids I think his wife likes it here is my understanding they bought a house like there's some motivation for him to stay here and finish career here and let's see the Jazz win a finals this year or get to the Western Conference finals or you know have a chance to play in the championship there's no reason for him to leave and I think Ryan Smith, the owner of the Jazz, would say, hey, I got to bite this bullet now. Yes, it's pricey, but windows to win championships, if you're a Jazz fan, and he has been his whole life, you know you might get two years to do it. Uh, You know, the Jazz kind of blew it by not spending money on on a better setter than Greg Ostertag in the 90s, uh, and they've had opportunities to do it. Sam Perkins was a guy they could have signed for a couple million more dollars. You hope that they're willing to, to spend that money now, and I get it. It's not my money, but championships are hard to come by, and when you win one, you become a part of the group that has, or you always are a part of the group that hasn't, especially in the modern era. And the Jazz right now are a part of the haven'ts, the have-nots. So uh, it would be nice to see them get it, get there. And the the few extra million bucks a year to sign Mike, you have his bird rights, you can do it. It's probably worth it. Uh, next question here. Blake Mallon, what has you most confident about the Jazz thus far, and what has you most worried about the Jazz thus far? Uh, okay, I'm going to give you the same answer. Uh, and this is a little tricky, it's their identity. So uh, the Jazz know what their identity is, and it's why I think they're winning 13 out of 14 games uh, and and going in and just blowing teams out because the Jazz know what to get every single night from themselves. They're going to go in. They're going to take a ton of threes. I know it didn't happen last night. They still made 48% of their threes, which is their third best outing of the season. Uh, They're going to get good defense. They're going to get good guard play. They're going to get good rim protection from Rudy. Like, what you're going to get every night from the Jazz right now 
is solid and that's your identity. And when you can do that every single night, it's really hard to beat you. Uh, you think of the teams that have had the best identity over the recent seasons. You know, Golden State had this very clear-cut identity for five years. They're going to shoot a ton of threes. They're going to pass you to death, and they're going to be really good defensively as well. Uh, you know, they're just smarter than you are, and that was really hard to beat. The Spurs for a decade with Tim Duncan were that way. You just knew what their identity was. They were going to play really efficiently. They're going to be a great defensive team. Then they were going to get good guard play with Tony and Manu. You were going to get a lot of three-point shooting, and it was going to work every night. That's the strength of the Jazz right now. In fact, I think they might have the most well-defined identity of anybody in the NBA amongst successful teams. What I'm worried about is the Jazz can so heavily rely on that identity right now in a weird regular season where practice time is way down, shoot-arounds are almost non-existent, prep for the other team is at an all-time low. Uh, That identity is going to carry you through the regular season. What happens in the playoffs when you're playing the same team over and over and they can scout you and they can start to try and take away one or two things and blow up your identity, do the Jazz then have the contingency in their game plan to beat you? And that is Donovan Mitchell scoring 50 twice in a playoff game. Can Mike Conley still be Mike Conley like we've seen in the regular season? Is just having Boyan back for the postseason enough to do that? There are a lot of those types of questions in my book that exist for the Jazz. Uh, And that's my biggest question mark. So I'm most confident that their identity is real. My biggest fear is that that identity can be washed out once they get to the playoffs uh, when another team has to scout them, if that makes sense. I I hope that answers your question. I think uh, I tried to there. Otherwise, I'm looking here. I think that's all the questions I got. We're a little over 22 minutes, which is a perfect time for a podcast. I appreciate you listening. Again, follow me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. You can read this article to get some more of these more in-depth answers. I always appreciate you sending these in. Tweet at me at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com. Download the KSL Sports app and tune in again next week for another episode of the Jazz Knows Podcast. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.